0: Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. We revisited elephants because that was our very first episode. And Yikes. I had to listen to it.
1: You're a brave <laughs> soldier, my friend.
0: What can they teach us?
1: As you previously mentioned, African elephants are definitely ecosystem engineers. I mean, they're going to influence the structure of wherever they live because of-
0: Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. Angie, year three. Here we go.
1: I cannot believe it. How do they still allow us on the air? Oh, wait.
0: It's <laughs> free space. <laughs> That's right. podcasting's is free. You can still do it. and No one could listen, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, year three, Angie, year three. So I have a couple of questions for you. How many species have we done?
1: Ooh, I don't know, but just doing some quick math in my head, I would say 85.
0: Oh my gosh, that's really good. It's 81 is what I counted. Whoa. I might have missed one or two, but that's good. That's good. Awesome. That's good. <laughs> okay. Question two, how many interviews have we done?
1: Okay, not that many, um, and not that number in half, maybe a quarter of that, a little more than a quarter of that number, uh, you've probably done more than me, uh, 36.
0: Close, 40. 40 is what I counted. Plus or minus one or two, I think. That's good. Okay, you're on top of it today. So it's going to be a good podcast and.
1: I'm awake. I'm alert. I'm ready to rock and roll.
0: Well, you know, we've been off for a few weeks. We're getting ready to to really hit it hard this year. Angie and I have have talked quite a bit on where we want to take the podcast this year. But today, for all of our listeners around the world, Angie, and and on every continent except Antarctica, I don't know of a scientist that might have downloaded our podcast and traveled down there. We need to send
1: one of our moms. We need to send one of our moms. (laughs) <laughs> to go there.
0: Or or somebody take that cruise out of Argentina, listening yeah. about penguins on their way down there. It's possible. It's possible. Somebody might have. But pretty much we have listeners on every continent in so many countries. So thank you. And to kick this year off, Angie and I, we talked about it and we thought it would be fun to revisit her and I's favorite species. And today we're, we're visiting the African elephant, which by far, still after doing 81 species or 82 species, there's been some contenders that have gotten close, but they still can't touch my babies. I, I just still love elephants. <laughs> yes, this, I'm sorry.
1: This pod's for you. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then next week, next week, Angie, we're going to do your favorite. Yes. The rhino. Well,
1: I have some, my, my favorites are tied. Uh, we still haven't done ah, zebra. True. I'm saving that for, that's going to be like our last episode when we finally close down the pod. <laughs> when we ever 10 do. years. Yeah. <laughs> 10 yeah. Years. Uh, so zebras are my faves, but, very close tied to that, obviously have to be rhinos. And so, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is all perfect timing with, of course, our small break that we had because I was recently in South Africa where mm-hmm. I had th- the pleasure to see a lot of elephants. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, I was at Kruger National Park. So my goal by the end of the podcast is to have you, no matter where you live, what continent, what city, looking up cheap flights, South African air to Johannesburg to get your yes. bum, get your bum to Kruger. Cause it's pretty amazing. Even my students, one of my students is like, I never really thought about it, but I'm going to talk to my dad about it.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, I know. Uh, I've got, I've I got know. the
1: bug and I've obviously been to Africa a couple times before, but this mm-hmm. was my first time at Kruger and saw lots and lots of elephants. So I'll have some fun stories to share about that. And then I did see Two white rhino. (laughs) So that was it. (laughs) We'll be talking about, we'll be talking about that next week. And, um, and of course, uh, some very passionate and uh, near and dear to my heart science. And then also, uh, just some things to share about my time there as
0: well. I know. I know. I was jealous, but so excited for you. I was like so excited to see the videos and pictures you were sending me. You look so happy. You're in your element. I know you missed all three of your men back in Florida, you know, the two little ones and John, but of
1: course. you look yes. like
0: you enjoyed the break.
1: <laughs> yes, it is. Uh, distance makes the heart go fonder, right? That's what they always yeah. say. And, uh, and I, you know, the funny thing is, is I didn't really worry about my boys too much uh, because they're mm-hmm. just good guys and they take care yeah, of each other kids. and they have a lot of fun. It was the dog, Gypsy. She's the one that misses Aww. me the most when I'm gone. So she Aww. was probably the most happiest to see me, and my husband too. Because yeah. a week of a, a week of a five and a half <laughs> and a three year old is enough to do anybody busy under busy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very busy. But uh, they had a great time, and yeah, and of course now with modern day conveniences, we we're able to. Uh, at Kruger, they had internet access, which was much different than mm-hmm. the last time I was in Africa ten years ago. Mm-hmm. And so we were able to do a little bit of video chatting, and mm-hmm. obviously I was sending you a lot of videos to yes. Like, Instagram. Yes, it was for amazing. Me. So now it it's amazing—we're all connected, which is why this podcast is so awesome because we've been able to create in the past three years, we've been able to create this amazing community of all creature through our Facebook and our Facebook groups. So if you haven't done that, please join us. We have conversations going all the time that are kind of behind the scenes about either podcasts Mm -hmm. or just articles or things we want to talk about. And of course, visit our website too. And or obviously if you haven't, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or any of those podcast listening apps and always rate and review because we're still killing it. According to uh, Apple iTunes, right? Uh, we're right. Up there. Yeah, we're still on
0: the front page. Yeah, front, front page, page baby. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I know,
0: I know, so, I know, I know.
1: But we need obviously more than that to keep the momentum going and more just so we get uh, exposure. Uh, mm-hmm. It helps. So please tell somebody about your favorite episode. It might be today's episode. It might be one in the past. Or we've got some really exciting things coming up.
0: No, and I mean, that's great because I, you know, a few shout outs, especially on Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram. Angie's pretty busy on Facebook. You know, so, you know, shout out to some fans that are really helping us grow. Pippa in England, Angie, following your footsteps. She started grad school. Yay! So, remember. A few months ago, I mentioned that that she taught, she reached out to me, and I was like, "You got to do it." And yes, look at what Angie did, and you can do it. And, and it's so normal to want to
1: quit once in a while, maybe every day. Yes. just don't quit. That's the key. <laughs> you just keep yeah, dope, going. Dope. Uh, just be, it just got to be tough. Tenacious, and it's worth ten- tenacity, Tenacious. Yes, and um, it's yeah. it's uh, worth it. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, and every weekend, you know, I'm posting something on Instagram. It's always fun. So Sunny Shyack, he's always He's always asking me, what are you going to post and what's your favorite animal, da, da, da. Miller's Wildlife, K-Mac, so many others on Instagram sharing our stuff. So thank you. And then just a special shout out to Pounce Conservation. She's a great account on Instagram if you want to know more about wolves here in North America. She's doing some research there. Mm excellent So, yeah. Yeah. And then just quickly, you know, we do have Patreon. I'm not going to beat this one to the ground. Just for a cappuccino each month, you support us, you support conservation. We're sending money out to organizations each month and it's helping us grow. And we'll put the link in the show notes. If, if you want to go check us out there, it helps Angie and I, you know, pay the bills and keep this podcast going. So thank you, but Angie. Okay. We revisited elephants because that was our very first episode. And yes. I had to listen to it.
1: You're a brave <laughs> soldier, my friend.
0: <laughs> After I don't know how many hours and hours and hours. of editing. you could pay me, me enough
1: money to do that, I would fringe.
0: <laughs> it wasn't that bad. It was not that bad. We actually put out some good information. Okay. Cool. So it, the audio quality stunk up to high heaven, and we're still working on that. Yeah, you know, that's why we need Patreon because we need to get better equipment, but. I couldn't – re-listening to this, I couldn't believe what I started with. I just couldn't – I was shaking my head. I'm like, Chris, what are you thinking? You don't remember what I opened up with. First episode, we're going to about jump into evolution, and I start talking about mitochondrial DNA. Like, (laughs) Wait, how many listeners have we lost that listened to that episode? And said, okay, boring. Clicked on.
1: <laughs> well, maybe they stayed if they stayed till the end. I remember I talked about elf and, elf, and poop coffee.
0: Oh, that was great. I still want to get that, but yeah, it was like, oh, that's a good hook to get. Into yeah, the
1: everybody loves mitochondrial a good mitochondrial DNA. DNA. That, that's, that's, that's what you want to talk about at Christmas and Thanksgiving with your friends and family. I
0: definitely so want to funny. take that one down now.
1: No, so. no, it's good. It's good because no, no, it's good. for the twenty or fifty that you scared away, there's got to be one that was, <laughs> was, go- was googling <laughs> like mitochondrial DNA, being like, "I, Hope I'm, so. and that's what I'm going to study because it is amazing." Okay, I mean, from a yeah, it is. From an evolutionary it is. point it is. of view, and from conservation genetics and things like that, it is, it is, it is incredible. Uh but yes, it is. You've got to well, really
0: I s- be a dork. Like us. Yes, like us. Like us. (laughs) So I want to start different. And I'm going to – it's not good news. How about this? Elephants
1: are the largest terrestrial organism. Mammal. They're gray. Mm. They're awesome. There's a couple different species. They're beautiful.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're beautiful. And I'm going to open up with the poaching crisis because I really – to get serious, you know, and I know we're having a good time, but I think this is kind of the message today and some of the data that that we've been able to to dig up, and again, making why elephants are awesome. So we're not going to rehash episode two and go over all the same data. Angie and I have actually been digging to come up with different data to complement that episode. And I know we touched upon it in episode two, and here we are, episode 122. But in 1930, there was about 10 million wild elephants across Africa. Today there's maybe 400,000, roughly. Four, 415 is what I'm seeing. You know, I, I think Wikipedia had 700,000. That's bad data. That's why Wikipedia is not always the, the best source. you really got to dig. And I dug, and IUCN's data is old. It's not updated. And we're going to reference this study a little bit today, too. In 2016, was called the Great Elephant Study. And so they came out with a number around 400,000, 415,000. Yeah, that
1: was the African Elephant Specialist Group.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And in 10 years, we lost 111,000 elephants from 2006 to 2016, roughly. So it, there is this poaching crisis going on that the population has dropped by 30%, you know, over that time. and That's
1: a lot. In a short period of time.
0: Yeah, yeah. And – When they did look at poaching rates, they saw in about seven years they lost 144,000 elephants. About 8% of the total population is lost per year. And that statistic has not abated. It is still roughly 8 to 10%. Mm -hmm. So we're losing roughly 32. So I did the math. I can do quick, easy math. 8% of 400,000 is about 32,000 elephants per year are poached across Africa. Yikes. So in 10 years, that's almost the entire population. I mean, within 20 years, that's for sure the entire population dead, gone, forever, forever. So this is a crisis. This This isn't something that just stopped. It's not over. It's it's an ongoing thing. And so I think that's why, you know, I, I really wanted to talk more about this and then put in some new facts about why elephants are just the most amazing animal on earth and why they should be your favorite, too. <laughs> <laughs> but Angie, <laughs> but uh, you know, I want to lead you and talk to you about your trip in Kruger because I know being there on the ground where it's a hot spot. I mean, some elephants get poached there, right? And I mean, even rhinos get poached there still. Oh, yeah. Well,
1: we'll save the rhino discussion for yeah. uh, next week because next week, that yeah. is uh, a, 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 uh, can of worms. Uh, and I would say elephants mm-hmm, are too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot going on with elephants at Kruger. There's some really positive stuff. And, but yes, there is definitely elephant poaching. It still remains a problem. And, but yes, to answer your questions, there's definitely still elephant poaching going on at Kruger National Park in South Africa. It remains a, rep- a problem. So in 2016, there was roughly 40 to 50 elephants poached. It, um, in 2017, it was up to close to seventy. I don't have the numbers for 2018 or 19 this year, uh, but it definitely still remains a problem. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with Kruger National Park in South Africa, just a little uh uh backstory is that it is a national park that it's located in northeastern South Africa, and it's one of Africa's largest national parks or organic reserves. Mm-hmm. It has a huge, mm-hmm. very high density of wild animals and it's really well known for having the big five. So that's the big five are the famous ones that people love to see, which are going to be lions, leopards. I'll never see a leopard. I've accepted that. Rhinos, <laughs> elephants, and Cape buffaloes. Uh, I was like third time to I Africa know, as a charm. I'll see it. a leopard. The guide even, one of the guys even nope. were looking for one because we had heard that there was one in one area and now nope, no leopard. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, nope. and there's a ton of other mammals that live there, about 150 mammals, over 500 birds, over 100 reptiles, uh, uh, over 300 tree species, f- close to 50 fish and 34 amphibians. Which I didn't see any reptiles there, um, nor did I see any amphibians, mm-hmm. but I saw a plethora of birds and mammals in general. It, and it's just a, it's just a hot spot. I mean, some call it the Disney of safaris because mm-hmm. it's just, it's just amazing. But what was breathtaking and astonishing to me and something I knew because I looked at a map, but I didn't really fully understand mm-hmm. until we drove around a little bit of how big Kruger National Park is. Yeah, it covers an area of about twenty thousand kilometers squared or two million hectares, which none of that really means mm-hmm. much to me, even though I am a farmer's daughter, and it should. <laughs> but it. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know. What yeah, I know. But so basically, it's um, about the same size of Israel, a little smaller than Belgium. These are wow. countries, right? And about about right, about a third right. of the size of Ireland. So big. It has, okay, I mean, okay. just it's just really big. And Kruger has over 850 kilometers of paved roads that weave and wind your way through it. So unless you really drive the thing from like north to south, because it kind of runs longer from north to south, it mm-hmm. you can't even, I mean, I, we would be out for hours and I would think we went so far and then I'd get a map out. I'm like, oh yeah, we didn't, we didn't. We didn't even make it like <laughs> halfway, to the, <laughs> right, yeah, halfway to the next base camp. And so, but with that being said, its yeah. size is what makes it lovely. So it's not too overcrowded. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's all these vehicles of tourists that you're bumping into. You would see, yeah, you would.
0: Oh yeah. You, you see, would see yeah. maybe,
1: you know, another vehicle yeah. on the road here or there, but it, there's, it's just so vast that the vehicles all can go in different directions and uh, you can rent a car and drive there through yourself if you have, you have to have all the right permits and you can't be out at nighttime. And it's, it's very mm. strict record keeping about who, what vehicles or guests can enter the park. So it's really regulated and you on there, you have to stay on the paved roads and they have all these rules if you are in your own vehicle. But of course we were with tour guides. So, uh, we had the permits were easy for us and we just listened to our tour guide and. Uh, and everything was fine. But mm-hmm, yeah, you, mm-hmm. you there's no walking unless you really get a special guide and permit and all this other thing. Otherwise, you have to be like in a vehicle on the road. You can't go quote unquote off-roading. You've got to stay on the paved uh on right, the paved right. roads and and what makes Kruger even more incredible is it's now part of an even bigger picture of some newly established parks that now include Mozambique's Limpopo National Park to the east, and Zimbabwe's, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say the name right, but Ganre Zoo National Park to the northwest. And so it's this vast conservation area that's basically being managed and integrated across these international borders. So there's benefits of that, obviously, having more land, um mm-hmm so the animals potentially could move throughout depending on if it's what areas are fenced or not. Uh, but with that comes some differences too, in how internationally different countries may regulate their parks and some might have more protection uh, against poachers and some may not. So it makes it a little, it's great to have more space and make these areas even larger, but in the same instance, it can also lead to potentially more, threats or more holes. And so Mm -hmm. it's, Mm -hmm. it's but it's huge. And, and I think a few months ago we reported in conservation, one of our conservation news segments that are on Patreon about how a couple parks have reported no poaching incidents of, I think, I don't know. I think elephants. Uh, And I think one was in Kenya and maybe one was in Tanzania or Mozambique. I can't remember. Uh, which is super exciting. And, and, but in the same instance, I think these are smaller parks that can really keep an eye on things. And so what ends up happening is Kruger is the animals that traverse closer to the border of the park, uh, Mm -hmm. have a much more potential to be poached than the ones that hang out on, you know, on the inside of the park. And so, uh, It is the elephant number is, in my opinion, a lot less daunting than the rhino poaching crisis, and so we'll talk. Like I said, we'll say that mm-hmm. for next week. But yes, a long-winded answer. Kruger's amazing because of its size and its location, and <laughs> it's just it's historical. It's been around for a long time, and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But there, the size also can play a factor in that there's just no way that the Rangers can patrol the whole area and they have a lot. I mean, they have, they have uh Rangers, they have vehicles, they have the helicopters that they share with other areas, but a helicopter or two, uh, they have dogs. Um, they have Mm -hmm. a lot of these things that are proven to be helpful in fighting the poaching crisis, but it's just such a large area that, it's tough. Of, they, it's tough. Yeah, they just can't keep
0: up. And I want to give a shout out to Global Conservation Force. It is an organization that we're going to highlight here soon. Uh, I've met a couple of their members here in Southern California. One works at the LA Zoo, another at the San Diego Zoo. And we're going to get with the uh, them here quick and talk about them because they do do the dogs. And actually, one of the LA zoos, uh, shout out to Madison. She just was there helped help training the dogs.
1: Yeah, Chris, I've heard about that. That is an incredible program.
0: Right, right. And so there's a lot of organizations working to fight this poaching crisis, and so we're going to highlight some of them later. Now, Angie, you know, why care? Well, I didn't bring this up in episode two, probably not to to be a Debbie Downer, and this is a a story that highlights how important elephants are to the ecosystem. And I've been wanting to talk about this one for quite a while, and I might have referenced it in a couple pods early on, but this is a, this is a story about Alan Savory, who is a ecologist from Zimbabwe. And before I get into the story really quick, I will say that he did realize he made a mistake and he owns up to it, but, but, you know, so I give him that, but the story is still pretty horrific. So back in the 60s leading into the 70s, it was free season on elephants. You can go and and shoot elephants at will. It was just, you know, if they were bugging you, you could shoot them. And so Zimbabwe was having, is, is having a problem. This is across Africa, and I know you and I have talked about this before, of desertification, where the savanna is turning into desert. And so he was an ecologist, top scientist, and said, hey, these elephants are destroying the environment. We need to kill 40,000 elephants to save our savannas. So they go out and they kill 40,000 elephants, which is just, my, I, I cry that's thinking about
1: staggering. it. Staggering. That number is yeah. just
0: insane. It's insane. It's insane. So guess what happened? It didn't stop, Angie. The desertification didn't stop. It, it sped up. It hastened. It got quicker. Because the elephants were actually helping the biome. They're critical to the biome. And when you took them out, it started becoming desert. Now he's out there going, oops, I made a mistake. But, hey, we need to put more cows on these these grasslands, more livestock. Because, I mean, I, I get his reasoning because the elephants aren't there anymore in certain parts of Africa or around sure. the world where we've taken the, the natural herbivores away or reduced them. I mean, I'm, I don't know why this popped in my head, but the sa- saiga... In Central Asia, you know, there used to be millions of them. Now there's a few hundred thousand. Great episode,
1: by the way, if you haven't checked it out. I don't, I don't know the number, but they're, they're cool. Yeah.
0: It was in the eighties or something, but yeah, it was amazing because they're so critical. So you're, you're removing all these herbivores and elephants are, are a big, big, big one. And, and he's received a lot of pushback as far as putting cows out there because that's all we need is more carbon, you know, dumping in the atmosphere anyways. But, you know, he's got some interesting ideas. You can check him out. So with that, Angie, you know, how elephants benefit an ecosystem. We did bring this up in the first episode talking about seed dispersal. It's one of the things we always bring up. But I did say that elephants spread seeds farther than most birds, you know, up to Mm -hmm. 60 kilometers away because it's in their digestive system longer. They move over greater distances and then disperse seeds. So that's important. They provide food for other wildlife. Birds that live on them eat insects and parasites. Dung beetles love elephant poop. They love it. Love, I
1: know. I'm, it. I'm probably the only person and I know definitely in my tour group, we did do, I, I got to, I was lucky enough to do a walking tour. Uh, we didn't see any much wildlife when we were walking, which is totally fine with me. Yeah. It was, mm-hmm. I don't really want to see anything up close, but no. <laughs> I, I was the only one that took a two, not just one, two <laughs> videos of dung beetles. Did I send those to you?
0: No, we got to post those. Okay. Yeah. I was like,
1: and everybody's looking at me like, what is that goofball doing? But I'm like, this is so (laughs) cool. And of course, yeah, it was on Um, elephant
0: dung, of course. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So they do, they're important. And then one of the things they do at water holes, they create space for other animals. They, they deepen it. They widen it. You know, they, they stomp in it, which helps pool water. So other animals depend on them. And then forest elephants, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, they they create corridors for other wildlife. You know, they go through the jungle and, and the forests and they create these wildlife corridors that other animals can follow through. So, and that's just some of the stuff that they do. They do so many more things. That is why these animals are the top herbivore in, in Africa and parts of Asia. What's left? We need to fight and fight hard to keep them going.
1: Oh, absolutely. And, Towards the end of the podcast, we'll touch on a lot about elephant behavior and their intelligence and their memory, and that's my main reason why to care. I love the ecosystem. Don't get me wrong; you bring up very practical reasons, but I think from just a personality or temperament or just incredible cognition of what we can learn more about ourselves and what we what we we're still learning a lot about them, both Mm -hmm. from. A behavior or an intelligence point of view, but also from a physiological point of view, which I think mm-hmm. we did touch on that last pod on the last pad about their abilities to basically not get cancer. So, right. and what right. we can learn from in the biomedical industry about that. So yes, I, it's just, it's very easy for you and I, I think to see why we should care. And I will tell you, if you are in doubt, just buy that ticket to Kruger National Park and <laughs> seriously with within 15 minutes of being in the park driving in because we drive uh-huh. in from where you get you get registered there's mm-hmm. a few different entrances and but then we had to drive to our base camp and we saw 30 elephants, mom, yeah, and, I'm going tomorrow. And we weren't I'm even on, tomorrow. that was just, yeah, that wasn't even, we weren't even on like a, a safari tour where we got to look at them and people would video mm-hmm. them and sit there and just ooh and awe ah and just be amazed. Of course, from a respectable distance, but mm-hmm. this was just, they're just other, they're very abundant in the park. And so it brought, it, it really revitalized me about why you and I are doing what we're doing. And, to keep fighting the good fight because our children, our grandchildren, our great grandchildren, they need to be able to see elephants in the wild, either in Africa, Asia, ideally both. It is, it is a sight to be seen. They are majestic. They, Have personalities. There's tons of herd dynamics just watching them. I mean, groups of anywhere from, you know, 12 to 30 individuals, depending on which, uh, which group we were watching, just interacting and being elephants and being incredibly social. And Mm -hmm. of course eating. I love watching animals eat. Mm -hmm, (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I probably like horses and zebras so much, but it's an experience that we should not take away. Especially from the people that live in Africa and the Asian countries that have been living with and around elephants for tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of years, however long, but mm-hmm. then also for people us like us and other continents that don't have elephants um right. to to be able to keep that. Ability to see them and they just, they, I mean, and all the numbers are saying, I know the rhinos and I don't think it's quite as red a flag with elephants, but it's there is with this decline. I mean, our grandkids will, will with rhinos, our kids will not be able to see them in the wild and elephants are right, right there behind them. And so I just... It would just really lit my fire. And for those of you that don't follow us on, on social media, especially on Instagram and Facebook, I was there for a conference. So it was kind of like a working vacation, Mm -hmm. which was awesome. And we'll talk a lot about that on the next pod about the research that I was presenting. But I still was basically just a tourist and now I, now I want to go back. Now I want to like get, get a hold of some elephant mm-hmm. researchers that we were introduced to. And now I need to go back and like learn more about these populations and right. observe them more. Try, obviously as a physiologist and a behaviorist, I, I just need to, I need to know more. And so it really, it really, it was fun being a tourist and just sitting in a, a vehicle mm. with binoculars and, uh of course, a guidebook and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and a camera and stuff. But, uh, I mean, I, I was just really, really inspired. And so uh we've got to figure – Chris, we've got to figure out a way to get I back know. there.
0: <laughs> that's why we're doing this. That's why we're doing this podcast, you know, and that's where we're trying to reach as many people as we can.
1: And what I learned about Kruger while I was there, it's a really interesting story about their relationship and their population of elephants. So in 2006, there were roughly 12,000 elephants in Kruger. In 2015, there was a little over 17,000. The numbers, of course, are not up for 2018 or 19, but there are some estimates that there may be more than 20,000 elephants in Kruger right now, which is a lot of elephants. It's a big, big area. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's hard to say historically what the density stocking levels would have been. And Chris, I just have to share with you and the listeners a little bit about the history of Kruger national park and their elephants,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because it's a fascinating story and it starts off years ago forever ever in a day, the population in Kruger was restricted to 7,000 elephants. And this number was maintained through population control or culling. It's also known as artificially artificial manipulation of animal numbers. And then in 1994, with a little bit of different uh, leadership and director, the philosophy of the park and Kruger and their elephants changed. So after 1994, there was no more culling, and the parks decided to let the landscape or the ecosystem Mm -hmm. manage the elephants rather than people. And what that means is there was no more calling. And the thought behind this is that resources will become limited and that alone will basically help keep the numbers in check, right? It'll help a carrying capacity, of the park balance itself out, which to be told, they don't really know what, I don't think anybody, as far as I could find, I could be wrong. So if anybody knows, let me know. Uh, but I couldn't find what the carrying capacity should be. Uh, the number that was reached uh, prior to 1994 at 7,000, I think was just a guesstimate. And so now flashing forward to the most recent numbers in 2000. Fifteen, there was about 17,000 elephants growing at a rate of about 4.2% over the last generation or 12 years. So in 2006, there was about 12,000 elephants. In 2015, there were about 17,000 elephants. And so this growth rate of 4.2% over the last generation is actually less than the six and a half percent population growth when they were being culled. Mm-hmm. So it is less of a growth. Um, but in the same instance, there's now more animals and mm-hmm. we don't have the numbers for 2019 yet, but some speculate that the numbers could reach into 20,000. Okay. And <laughs> so it brings about, Anybody who's familiar with wildlife conservation management and understanding that these parks, a lot of them are fenced. I, a lot of Kruger's fence. I don't know if all of it's fenced, but there's really not too much movement in and out um, unless it's controlled by the park rangers or the park management. So it brings up the question of how many elephants are too many. And I, being on the tour side of things, was like, this is fascinating. I mean, there's so many Everywhere, elephants. Yeah. You see, and babies. Oh my gosh, Chris, the babies <sighs> with their like noodle trunk, like trunks, <laughs> their trunks aren't as, you know, their fine motor skills of yeah. the trunk. If you think mm-hmm. of like a toddler, they don't right. have it. So their, their trunk is just kind of like a noodle flopping around. Flopping. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, uh, I tried to capture on video for you, but it, it was just too good, too amazing. And so, all of that's quite lovely, but, and I was there during the dry season. So, and anybody who follows us on Instagram will notice that the pictures, I mean, the vegetation's very dry. There's not a lot of right, leaves right. on the trees. The elephants are doing fine. They're eating, I couldn't believe that they were eating the thorny acacia yeah, tree, yeah, yeah, trees yeah. and things. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, 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 and, and their body condition was amazing. Their skin, uh, mm-hmm. oh, mm-hmm. beautiful skin and their body condition scores. I'm not really sure how you do an elephant, but in general, they didn't, they didn't yeah. look like they were missing Sardin. a meal and there right. was still plenty of water. And so they were, you know, they would drink when they needed their drinks. And we got to watch them one day, splish splashing in a river. I think I sent you that video.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So
1: they're very happy elephants. And it's really a question that people are having. Are there too many? And if so, well, what do we do? And of course, as we have to manage populations, of animals more, closely than we ever did before because, well, there's less land for them. And these are great questions to ask. And so I did a little deep dive digging and I, uh it's probably a different pod for a different day, but, and so what the scientific data is starting to show is it's, there's two sides of the coin. As you previously mentioned, el- African elephants are definitely ecosystem engineers. I mean, they're going to influence the structure of wherever they live because of, how they move, how they eat, things like that. And so researchers in 2018, Ashley, uh, Rob Sana, and coworkers looked at basically 15 years of helicopter surveys trying to look at how the numbers have changed and take a snapshot of what the elf and habitat is like and how their populations are changing. And what they did find is that they there is specific habitat selection specifically for woody cover and near par- parts of water. So those are going to be the highest density packed areas. Um, and so by understanding what's happening with the population, and this is primary females, I should mention, uh, the matriarchal herd, um, this information could help the park managers and researchers try to understand more about what's happening with the population demographics and what happens when these large long-lived herbivores stay in a certain area um, for a long period of time. So they didn't really come to a conclusion if there are too many, they just know that they are grouping differently than they did 15 years ago. They're, Their habitat selection has changed probably because the ecosystem is changing, right? Right. And then another study in 2019 by Sandra McFadden and coworkers, once again, looked at all these spatial temporal distribution dynamics and their results showed that bulls and herd groups are, they're not able to be clearly segregated because there's not a lot of empty space and because resources are potentially more scarce and space is more scarce uh, when it's a dry season or the fire season or things like that, they have to con- concentrate themselves or congregate into similar areas. And so when they're clumping together in these large groups, uh, they're going to need to be managed potentially differently and the resources than when they are spread out more. And so, Mm -hmm. once again, it'll probably be hard on the ecosystems. However, the study did not confirm if there's too many elephants or not too many elephants. But when we shift gears and look at studies that have researched the trees in Kruger National Park, there's still a big biodiversity of trees, which make the park really incredible, depending on the different landscapes as you move north through south and east through west through the park. But there has been a large loss of trees greater than five meters in height. And it's primarily due to the elephants. And now, Chris, in previous pods, we've talked about trees and why they're so Mm -hmm. important. Yeah. Do you remember any of the reasons why?
0: No. I mean, yeah, they're carbon sink. They provide a home for lots of animals. They help Mm -hmm. birds and provide food. And a lot of species depend on them, even down to insects. So they're critical. Exactly.
1: And so mm-hmm. Kruger touts its biodiversity, rightfully so, as a park. I mean, they've got it all. You can see
0: mm-hmm.
1: a lot. I did not see mm-hmm. wild dogs or cheetah or sable I antelope. They're supposed to be in the park. Mm, but I did see an African wildcat. North. Yeah, I did see an African wildcat, which when you know, when the, when the, when the, the amazing, oh my gosh, the, the, the tour guides are just amazing, so intelligent, mm-hmm. so well trained, so professional, but when they are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we saw that. You know, yeah. it's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. They, that- well,
0: you saw, I mean, you saw a baby hyena. Like that was amazing. That yes, was way cool. Yes.
1: Yes. But to hyenas, uh, to, I guess to the drivers, that was kind of more normal. For me, that, uh, yes, yeah. this is my first yeah. time, third time in Africa, first mm-hmm. time seeing uh, hyenas, let alone, um, pups. So yeah, that mm-hmm. was, yeah, it was, it was crazy amazing, but. So trees, back to trees. Trees are important. Okay, and okay, okay. <laughs> so the you look at trees. And anybody who's familiar with elephants know that they can do an impact on a number on trees and, and impact them ranging from bark stripping to more destructive stuff such as uprooting, which I did see a tree uprooted by an elephant on one of my walkabouts. Uh, And they'll snap stems. And so when there's a lot of elephants around... Uh, yeah. The damage to the trees is gonna just it's gonna be worse, obviously. Yeah. And so
0: yeah, as they compete for resources, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah. And and so while this um, anti calling or um, anti artificial manipulation of wildlife reserves has become trendy in, in several other parks, and obviously that's probably what I would vote for, uh, with my very limited lack of knowledge about the topic. It is something that needs to be managed and, and, understood about what is happening, not only to the ecosystem, but the other species, right? Uh, mm-hmm. we, we care a lot about elephants and, but in the same instance, you know, are there enough resources for the other animals? Uh, the yeah. rhinos, the, the kudu. I did see a lot of kudu, so they must be doing fine. Yeah. <laughs> They're yeah, so no. beautiful. But those are questions that need to be asked and they are being asked. And I just am hopeful that we'll see more data to really back it up of what is the carrying capacity and what this does mean for not only the park's ecosystem and plants, but of course for the mammals, birds, and reptiles that inhabit that area. Because as you mentioned, elephants are a huge keystone or
0: umbrella or, or just an
1: important species from the top down.
0: Right, right. And this is all man caused by the way. You have these animals fenced in in an area where they can't spread out and they're confined to an area. So this is a a man-made problem that hopefully we can find good solutions for.
1: Yeah, and I think and and Kruger is crazy big and so they can spread out but to what extent? And right, right. and then in the meantime what's happening with the other the other species? And so I, you know, I definitely don't have any of the answers. You know, can they move them to other parks or can we get more land? Can they cross borders and go into the other, um, go into the other parks? I don't know. Uh, but we want to keep them safe. And it seems like although they are getting poached from Kruger, I think they're probably safer than some other parks. Well, and they're not.
0: Yeah. And the elephants that are getting poached are other parts of Africa. So that's where we're seeing a massive decrease. Mm-hmm. Whereas there are some rep, you know, refuge for them in, in certain parks in South Africa and some other better managed places. So, but
1: yes, I mean, my take home message is Chris, you need to go to Kruger National Park. I'm going. If you love I'm elephants. Yeah. anybody anybody likes elephants half as much as Chris does? It is an yeah. amazing place to see them and watch their nat- natural behavior and learn a lot about them. And. Have internet access, have a glass of wine at nighttime, drink the water. I could drink the water. It was amazing. And uh, have a hot shower. Well, if everybody
0: so- listened to this podcast became Patreon subscribers, we could, we could live in Kruger and just do the podcast <laughs> from there. So
1: now the internet was not, I mean, there was one little cafe where it's like, okay, oh God, in oh my, God. in my bush camp, but, but I was staying in a pretty, yeah. uh, pre- um, pretty well known bush yeah, camp as yeah. well where the conference was. So it had, all, it had all yeah. the bells and whistles. And mm-hmm. for the week, it was like I was 20 again and just, mm-hmm. uh, hanging out by myself with uh, some colleagues and reading books and watching wildlife. And it was amazing. And I did miss my family, but uh, I was able to get over it quickly when I was watching Elf and (laughs) Families.
0: Right, right, right. Well, let's throw some more data out there, you know, about, elephants and you know a, a quick review on evolution because I, I want to talk about some research that we did there down in florida now
1: you're not allowed to talk about mitochondrial dna no I ate no i eat it no, no, no. all the time about, about kruger because it's amazing <laughs> okay.
0: okay so just briefly some things i didn't mention last time is elephants can date back you know their earliest ancestors 50 60 million years ago around them uh more oretheriums which was about the size of a pig where really the is really the animal we can trace all proboscodidians. There we go. proboscididians evolved. So elephants and mammoths and things like that. Now, one thing I didn't mention was the closest relatives to elephants are manatees, the dugongs, and the rock hyrexes Okay. Manatees, dugongs are, are similar. Manatees, obviously, Those here. In, in- don't
1: look anything alike.
0: No. <laughs> no. So... This dates back to the research we did with Dr. Collins, who uh, was one of my PhD students, and then now Dr. Cowart, who we interviewed in episode 38 about manatees, one of the, uh, the few people on earth that understands manatee reproduction. And in that study, you know, what we were looking at was the sperm cell, the male gamete of Asian African elephants, manatees, and rock hyrex. Now, why Because that's a type of cell that doesn't change a lot over time. So we can start drawing some evolutionary relationships. Now, these all split, like I said, around that 55, 60 million years ago where one went into the water. So was kind of foraging near the water and eventually just swam in the water. And now it just lives in the water, the manatees. One just became a little bit smaller and now lives in the rocks and stuff in Africa. So, do you remember, Angie, Uh-oh. which one was the closest? Yeah, you you know, you sat in on, on her defense. So, <laughs> looking at sperm cells between elephants, manatees, and hyraxes, which one was the most closely related based on their sperm physiology and ultrastructure and all the things we looked at?
1: I think it was the hyrax and the elephant.
0: No, it was the manatee, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Man I had like a 33% chance geez <laughs> it 50, was the manatee 50 percent chance i don't even know yeah what, 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 the manatee. What, what question were you asking me i'm just
0: kidding yeah, yeah 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 so anyways i thought that was interesting so they're those are their distant relatives now over the course of evolution history between asian and african elephants it's estimated there's been 352 different species of proboscideans. so they've been on every continent except australia and antarctica So here in North North America, South America, Europe, Asia, and Africa. Did
1: they evolve here like horses?
0: No, they actually evolved in Africa. Okay. And the Asian elephant actually evolved out of Africa and then moved into Europe and Asia. So now the African elephant is actually the the youngest or the newest of all of them and is about one and a half million years old. So they've been around a long time. I mean, they've been around a long time. Yeah. And, you know, obviously they differ from Asian elephants. Now, the two species, there are two species of African elephant. In our first episode, we said, well, they thought the forest elephant was a subspecies. Now, today, they're saying after doing more genetic studies that actually the forest elephant is a different species of African elephant. Yay, so, science. We have this, Science yeah. and time, right? <laughs> So the typical one we all think of, and that Angie saw, was a savanna elephant, Loxodona africana, and obviously the, the, the largest elephant on earth, larger body mass, larger ears. The forest elephant is smaller, and that's Loxodona cyclotis, And this is the equatorial range in Africa, West Africa, Central Africa. Smaller, smaller ears, darker skin. And they actually can interbreed, which is interesting. They, right. they can.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now... Largest elephant ever species. Okay. So I did find this, and I didn't mention it in the first time we covered them. Paleoloxodonin namaticus. Ooh, I did it. I
1: did it. I did it. That's great. (laughs) I'm
0: not going to say that again.
1: It's some of your favorites, so, but yeah. Yes. Quit while you're ahead.
0: And these roamed, now these roamed 23 million years ago in India, Southeast Asia, and Japan Really, And was a kin, yeah, was, looked like a modern Asian elephant, but 24 tons, insane, 16 feet tall at the shoulder. Yikes. So huge. They are the largest land mammal ever to walk on earth. Anything, out of anything, giant ground sloths, things we've talked about, this is the king. This was the largest land mammal ever to live. We found it. Yay! <laughs> so I'm done. It's a good day. Now just quickly some of the things we said in the the first uh, pod African elephants can live up to 70 years in the wild females stand up to nine feet at the shoulder or 2.4 meters weigh five thousand kilograms or five to seven thousand pounds so you're taking that that what did I say 16 feet you know mm-hmm. it's almost half as tall as that one That's uh, male, yeah. Male African elephants can stand up to 13 feet or four meters at the shoulder, weigh up to 13,000 pounds or 6,000 kilograms. So very, very large, obviously. So both sexes have ivory tusks, which is actually a tooth. We covered that set. It's a second set of incisor teeth that grows out. So I know when Angie was talking about, you know, rhino, which we're going to talk about next week, grinding down the horns, you, you can't grind down the tusk. It's a tooth. It's alive. It's it, it's got blood flow, everything like that. So you know it, it's very special. Now the tusks are critical, and this is this is where it gets a little bit interesting. Is you know the tusks in these elephants that are being poached, so they're starting to see tuskless elephants or elephants with really tiny tusks, and they're really important for the elephant to help forage, dig. Strip bark, move things out of the way. And so the tusks are, are important, especially males, males fighting, in, you know, breeding rights, things like that. So being that the tuskers are, are you know, a lot of them are long gone. I read a, a horrible story about one of the largest tusk elephants it was like six and a half feet, my, my height almost a little bit taller than me. Uh, his tusks were as tall as I was, was, was killed a few years ago in Kenya. Uh, poached for this ivory so now that we are removing these tusked elephants they're starting to see more and more elephants without tusks due to genetics it's just simple genetics you know you don't have large tusks you're the ones not being killed you're passing on your genes in your genetics so that is is something that that's ha- happening to them well
1: and what's also interesting about tusks a recent study showed in 2017 that we didn't talk about on our last pod, the study looked at growth characteristics of tusked elephants Mm -hmm. and of course, Kruger national park, because I'm in love. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And what they found (laughs) though, Chris was that, but what they found was super fascinating and that elephants are slightly more right tusked than left tusked. And they could tell this by the the different wear and tear and, uh, how they were, shaved down or worn out, if you will, for the most part. And Mm -hmm. I never, we talked about right and left handedness a little bit in horses and things like, of course, in people, right? Uh, but I hadn't really thought about it in, uh, in elephants. And here's a scientific study saying, no, we, we analyzed all these tusks from (laughs) back from many years ago. And this is what, you know, this is what it's showing. But if you put that in perspective is, as you were mentioning, why tusks are important. And these animals mm-hmm. are either potentially losing the great tusk, the large size of tusks mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. if they have a, a handedness, if it's more right than left or, or in general, just even having a handedness, it's because they use it for so many things. And
0: mm-hmm. so mm-hmm.
1: if that is decreasing in size due to genetics or lack, like you said, or going, uh, tuskless, uh, that's just really unforgivable.
0: No, it is. It's, it's, it's sad. It's sad what's, what's happening to them. The shifting gears to a little bit more fun topic is the elephant's trunk, which we didn't really
1: oh, talk Oh, I, ta- I talked <laughs> about the baby noodle though. It's just such a noodler. I know, we did. It like, it's like a spaghetti know, noodle. It's the cutest thing I've, oh, oh. I'm in love. Oh, it's so wonderful. It's,
0: it's an amazing, it's an amazing appendage on elephants. You know, obviously it's what defines them, what people think of. It has eight major muscles on either side with 150,000 muscle bundles in all. This thing is incredibly strong. It can help pull down trees, can lift incredible amount of weight. Some of the elephants, it can reach up to 20 feet high in trees. So remember we went back to giraffes, you know, talking about giraffes and how they evolved to browse higher. Mm-hmm. You know, this helps elephants reach leaves and things that they want to do that. Obviously helps them drink water, which you got to see. Suck in the water, blow it in their mouths. They don't suck it up like a straw. They, they, they suck it up and then move the trunk into their mouth and, and drink that way. Can hold up to two gallons or seven and a half liters of water, uh, per drink. And incredible, incredible. I did not know this. This is a cool factoid. Incredible sense of smell that it's so sensitive. That it's even more capable, if not more, than a bloodhound. What? So yeah, I they didn't can know smell that. water from many kilometers or miles away. They're very sensitive nose. Very, very, very sensitive nose. Now, another cool thing they do, which I'm gonna to get to here in a minute, is the trunk is sensitive to vibrations. So it can actually feel the rumble on the ground. Say there's a herd. Running away from a predator or something like that, they can actually feel that with their trunk. It is that sensitive. It's just crazy, crazy, crazy. It just really quickly again, you know, digestive anatomy, hind gut fermenters, simple stomach, long intestines. They digest all that that those leaves and everything in their hind gut. The Thorns. I, I couldn't
1: believe it. Yeah,
0: know, I know. Now, obviously they eat forage, forage forage-based diets. So plants, trees, and grass, leaves, roots, bark, fruits. They 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 love marula tree. Yeah. So they do that. They eat about one to one and a half percent body weight per day. So for a 10,000 pound elephant, that's a hundred to 150 pounds of food per day or 45 to 70 kilograms.
1: That's That's a lot lot of
0: food. Mm And we said we eat about five pounds or 2.2 kilograms per day. Mm-hmm. They eat a ton. Now, just a note, and I put this here because that interview I, we have on Thursday coming out, the elephant sanctuary, I asked her, you know, especially some of the money and how expensive it is to to house them. They spend $50 per day per elephant in food. And that's on top of the normal browsing and, and grazing behaviors that they have wow. out, out there in the sanctuary. Yeah, that's a lot. So they're expensive. Yeah, yeah. Now leading into behavior, I did want to talk about this, Angie, because I, I remember reading studies this is like 10 years ago, you yeah, know, 15 years ago when I was a young grad student in my, my days. Young or, budding, excited a long, grad student. Yeah. Just, just a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah. We all start
1: that way and then it fades. I know. I
0: know. Good. I know. So this was an interesting. I remember reading the story of the researcher. She was in a, in a bunker and she felt the vibrations in her body, but she couldn't hear it. And she's the one that kind of led the, and I wish I could have found her name and I got to find that book again, but low frequency communication or infrasound. Mm-hmm. And elephants use it and it, the, when you have these low frequency waves, they travel much, much further and they can travel through the ground. So this is like a private communication system that elephants have, you know, not only for their social behaviors, but things like, you know, danger or, stay away or hey I need help other ways or just say you know during mating season, hey, you know I'm in muss where are you? you know trying to find females in heat. Now did find a paper that talked about this a little bit and they were like you know trying to decide how they produce these sounds and it's basically through their larynx like us when we hum or sing.
1: okay like a so rumble. they've
0: done some studies and it's mm-hmm. yeah, so it's like human humming hmm And that's how they communicate. And they can hear that again through the trunk was one thing we said. They have large ear bones, so their ears can't pick it up, pick it up sometimes. And then also through their feet. They can pick this, this vibration up to their feet. Well, so what are they saying? Stay away. This is not good food or <laughs> something. I don't know. I don't know. Well, Hey, Charlie, stay. I don't know. No, I uh, – what, what, what elephants well, say? I don't I know. Think, stay away. There's lions on the prowl. Well, I think
1: we need to know, and uh, researchers yeah. are beginning to potentially decode this, and we'll hopefully know uh, –
0: Did you set me up? You set me up for that. You set me up no, for that. No, I
1: don't have a specific study. <laughs> uh but I, uh, yeah. I, but I, I think I couldn't find the specific study. So it's more general. Uh, and I would need an evidence based study to say exactly. And I think there needs to be that mm-hmm, study. Mm-hmm. It would be hard to prove, but somebody, some genius elephant researcher out there, I'm sure could do it. But they think that it probably has something to do about warnings, of course, for predators, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. whether it's lions or bees or just, all sorts of things, Um, and then also potentially locations of food and water and just in general herd dynamics as well. And of course, it's well-known that elephants communicate in many other ways, right? So they have their normal Mm -hmm. vocalizations, Mm -hmm. they have a lot of their visual cues, social tactile touching cues. But yes, this low-frequency rumble or infrasound is clearly really important for several reasons and uh, and the extent of are they able to identify each other is uh, is it a social cultural thing that still has to be identified as to what extent but this is another reason and why should we care about them why should we save them we just found out about this what if not that long ago and it no, needs to yeah, be explored. Yeah. I mean, it's very well documented how intelligent elephants are. And I've got a couple of cool studies, mm-hmm. new studies uh, exploring that because we're just as researchers, as a research community, we're just trying to figure out how to best test this and figure these things out. And so it'd be really sad if they weren't in the wild anymore, or if they were completely extinct or things like that, that we never really got to know the true depth of why elephants are amazing, mm-hmm. why they have such a great memory, why they're so intelligent, why they're so social, why they grieve, mm-hmm. uh, when they lose a partner, uh, why they rejoice when they mm-hmm. seen, when they see, uh, an elephant friend that they haven't seen in years. So really cool stuff. Really, really fascinating.
0: No, it is. It is. And, and it's interesting, Angie, because these are such social animals. And one of the things I, 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 failed to bring up the first time we covered them because I've, I've been aware of this and I, f- I find it fascinating, fascinating uh, study. And that was in relocating elephants through these parks or populating parks. And what they did, this is about, you know, t- you know, 10, 15 years ago, they would come in and bring in young bulls and release young bulls into these parks. And these adolescent males went nuts and caused all these problems. Now, an adolescent bull elephant is between ten to twenty years old. They they reach puberty. Angie covered it in the first pod. Uh, Definitely you know, go 15. check that
1: out. Send yeah. me an email, a secret yes. private one, and tell me on a scale of one to ten how <laughs> horrible it was.
0: <laughs> it was not. It was not. It was actually really good. You sounded very good. Oh, we should do a so poll. We they, should do a poll tra- and see
1: which one is better, elephants one or elephants two. Like, did we? We maybe elephants we got worse. worse.
0: No, no, we've only gotten better. (laughs) We've only gotten better. So, so they were, they relocated these young bulls to these parks in South Africa and these, they just, the the testosterone, you know. Yeah, they were killing
1: rhinos and and stuff.
0: Yeah, they went nuts. They chased off tourists, tore down fences. They just were, were crazy and be, they found, okay, so this is why I just find this so fascinating. These young bulls were entering must early. So that's when they get in, in, in hyper testosterone, very aggressive. It's during breeding season. It's when they want to mate with the females. And since there was no older, larger bulls to keep them out of must, they went into must early. And that was actually when Danielle showed up in my office years ago, wanted to study that. And we, and I really thought it was a fascinating study that I really wish we could have to see how they suppress these young bulls, but it's, it's a well-known phenomenon that these older bulls will suppress the younger bulls. So they don't enter must and don't get this hyper testosterone. So basically they had no father or male figures to not only show them how to behave, but also to keep them in check. So when they were analyzing this, they actually brought in older bulls to the parks and all this behavior went away and the older bulls took charge They were in charge. The younger bulls couldn't challenge them. And so they went, went along their way and developed and grew up and mimicked the older bulls. So again, the sociology, the, the intelligence, I guess, is, is interesting. The behavior is is interesting. It's just, again, something we can learn from them.
1: Well, and not only can we learn from them, but we can also learn about how we manage them and how best to manage them. And in the past, 20, 30 years and into the future as we're gonna, we're going to have to continue to manage them. We need to be smarter about it and certain animals shouldn't probably be relocated or translocated or called for that matter, depending on their age and their status. Mm -hmm. And that's why scientists and park rangers we'll continue to work together to try to figure out how best to do. Re- I mean, there's a whole new science out there that wasn't there when I was in undergrad. It's called reintroduction science mm-hmm. and trying mm-hmm. to figure out the best way, the safest way uh, to reintroduce animals to different areas that they've either been extirpated from or extinct from or whatever the case being. And so, yeah, we're, we'll get better at it. And I think it's sharing studies mm-hmm. like these and things to think about, um, that will help us get better at it because that's, that's going to be the future of it uh, at this point right, in time, right. if they're going to make it.
0: No, I know. I know. And, you know, it's, you know, I, and just thinking about trophy hunting, I'm going to address here in a second, you know, they, you shouldn't be killing these older bulls. You know, it, it's, they're, they're, they're very critical to the, the social system there. You know, it's just, ugh. anyways, you know, again, and just like when you talk about choline, I know one of the things that they found is they have to wipe out the whole family group because the younger ones suffer from PTSD. They remember it, right? So they're very intelligent, have great memories.
1: Oh, yes. It's always known. Oh, elephants have great memories. It's just like a saying, at least here in the in the States. But mm-hmm. it really, really, really is true. Uh, studies have shown that elephants can remember every member in their herd and, and identify approximately 30 herd mates or non-herd mates by sight and or smell. And studies have shown the African elephants, which is what we're talking about today, uh, that matriarchs, the older female who leads a herd has incredible memories and it helps her recognize companions or hostile elephants that she's met along the way. And this skill, as you mentioned, is really important to help mitigate conflict for survival, but then also to teach younger elephants, right? And so in one study even suggested the elephants may be able to remember and identify at least a hundred indivi- individuals mm-hmm. and potentially have the ability to separate them into close genetic relatives versus distant, distantly related or even unrelated individuals. And of course, males versus females, which is very important to know that and to remember that for overall herd dynamics and herd stability and herd survival. So yeah, I think we're still trying to figure out ways to explore their memories and understand just how powerful they are. It's obviously hard Mm -hmm. to do that when they're under human care. But researchers and keeper staffs are are trying to to work with this and and learn more about elephant intelligent and uh, intelligence and language. And so, in Oakland Zoo in California, so in your your neighborhood or north of you, mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. Uh, Donna, which is a 34 year old African elephant, and she's been looked at uh, and studied by researchers, and they found that she has the ability to identify between a picture of a banana and understand that that represents a real banana. And that (laughs) might sound like, you know, goofy or silly of, well, what does that mean? But it's really cool because it's basically shows that she has the ability, if you can think or picture something in your mind, you can have foresight And you can have the ability to plan. And Mm -hmm. also, and I think it's laying a really cool foundation of other cognitive experiments that they can do to understand basically how much language and, you know, can the elephants pick up on?
0: That amazes me every time, Angie. It amazes me every time how intelligent these animals are. Well,
1: I know. And I had so much fun just looking up recent studies from like 2018 and 19 since we lasted the pod. So we've been talking about African elephants today, but just because I can't control myself because I get very excited about this stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, there's experimental evidence out there that Asian elephants, so the... Uh, we'll have to do a whole podcast dedicated to them because they're even in more mm-hmm. crisis than the oh, African yeah. elephants. Oh, yeah. Their Big numbers time. are declining horrifically and okay,
0: 30, so. 30,000 plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, yep.
1: Uh But researchers in Japan have shown that Asian elephants have the ability to be the math Kings of the jungle. <laughs> uh, they did mm-hmm. these tests on 14 year old Asian elephant, um called Uthai from a zoo in Japan and they use con- uh, computer controls touchscreen panels to basically make it less bias from the handlers and things like that and it was specifically designed to examine elephant cognition to show figures and they taught the elephant to be to select the one that has more so identifying a mm-hmm. higher number and mm-hmm. these items could range from 0 to 10 and they had pictures of bananas. Bananas seemed to be the theme. Yeah, Watermelons, yeah, yeah. apples. And the fruits weren't, were often not presented all in the same size. So some would be bigger and some would be smaller. And they found that the elephant could correctly identify what was a larger number of objects, uh, close to 70% of the time. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they found out too that, that her ability to pick the higher number was not affected by the size of the fruit or uh, the distance or ratio, different comparisons. And that this skill or what evidence shows, of course, only one animal, but still, uh, what their numerical ability that they might possess could be tested further. And we might learn more about how uh, how they can add. I mean, that's, you know, that's like, Kindergarten type. My 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 son yep. is doing that type of stuff in kindergarten. I mean he's a little advanced, mm-hmm, so he's mm-hmm. doing extra adding, not to brag or anything. Yeah, But <laughs> but still and so it's just I know, and I know. it's just crazy. And of course it's well known that elephants can recognize themselves in the mirror. Uh that's something that sets them apart from many mammals on the spectrum. But a study in 2017 showed that they also have body awareness. And not Mm -hmm. only looking at the mirror and recognizing themselves, but, and basically how to move their bodies if an object was in the way, preventing them from doing a task. And like, again, like I said, it might not seem like much, but these studies are just the foundation and they're really quite cutting edge of what we've been able to do and show as as far as higher cognition and, um, and this megafauna. So Super exciting and that's why we need to learn yeah, yeah. more about them and we need to more protect about them, them. Yeah. because yeah. it just, yeah. they're, I, I understand why they're your favorite species. I mean, I, it's just.
0: Yeah, they're, they're amazing. They're amazing. They bring and, me to uh, tears. No. They're just so oh, no. beautiful oh, no. and majestic. Oh, no.
1: and. Quite iconic strong. right
0: oh my gosh yes very and so you know we, we've talked about the numbers a little bit over 400,000 uh, decreasing at 8% per year in some areas like Angie said at Kruger they are stable or growing so the savannah elephants are vulnerable where the problem really is now today is is a crisis is the forest elephants they're now endangered there's only about 40,000 of them left the uh, Congo, Cameroon, Ivory Coast, Gabon, Western and Central Africa, they are being poached at a crazy rate. 60% have been poached in the last decade. So they're in crisis and, and they really need to, to keep our eyes on. Now, I, I just to kind of lead to this, I just wanted to bring it up really quickly and that's what's going on in Botswana. It has made the, the news this year you know Botswana was called a conservation success story they they have really tried to cut down on poaching there was no trophy hunting i mean it was like the mecca for ecotourism and despite elephant populations decreasing they they were doing okay there about 130,000 elephants it depends because their their borders you know these elephants cross the borders how many elephants they have there but the president akama you know imposed a hunting ban in 2014 but now President Masisi, who came in this year or last year, uh, put a, a committee together to evaluate the ban on trophy hunting or culling elephants. The committee, quote-unquote committee, came back with a recommendation to lift the ban. And, you know, they were going to allow the killing of elephants for pet food, but that was abandoned, thank goodness. Oh, geez, yeah. Botswana is one of the last refuges for elephants, and but now hunting's yeah, ongoing. They
1: have a lot of them. That's a large number.
0: Yeah, and so they've allowed trophy hunting again. So, you know, so much for ecotourism there. And even right now, today, I've been coming across my news feeds. There's huge droughts in Botswana, Zimbabwe. Elephants are dying. And now we're going out and and shooting them again. And it's just, ugh. So, I don't know. I'm going to avoid them for a while, you know, when I do go and definitely go down to uh, Kruger in South Africa.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great place. I mean, they, like I said, they have, every area has their own, uh, things that they're issues or things that they're working with and right. working against. But yeah, overall the elephant population was very beautiful, very abundant, uh,
0: perhaps mm-hmm. too mm-hmm.
1: abundant, but, uh, I think they're just mm-hmm. going to let nature we'll take see. its course at right now. And of course I love the, mm. I, the fact that they're using science. I mean, there were. Mm-hmm several papers looking at this and people are talking about this and that is the first step. And that's, mm-hmm. I definitely want to mm-hmm. applaud Cougar National Park and South Africa in general and the park Alliance group there for that, uh, for really being mm-hmm. at the forefront and asking these hard questions and uh, doing science to try to help answer them. And of course mm-hmm. we all know in science, there's not always black and white clear cut answers, Right. but in the same instance, this is how we're going to, live with elephants until the unforeseeable future, if elephants make it. So a lot of parks are doing it well. Some could do it better. But as long as we're learning and as long as tourists are going there and being safe and spending their money uh, towards ecotourism and being respectable Mm -hmm. when they are at, the park, which, of course, that's mm-hmm. all I saw when I was there was people just really, mm-hmm. really in love and admiring the animals. And right. uh, it is just a feel-good time. And I think it does revitalize not only myself as a conservationist, but hopefully mm-hmm. um, anybody else who goes in the park or for you guys listening to this. So for forget, yes. forget about asking for Christmas for some socks and some... Uh, yeah. candy and new clothes yeah. or whatever it is. Skip three or four Christmases. Put all that money in the bank. <laughs> go to
0: Kruger. Yeah, and go to Kruger. Go, go to Kruger. Go to Kruger. Uh, just a quick uh, plug too. Again, I did this in the in the first when we talked about elephants. And, and a great book recommendation is The Elephant Whisperer, Lawrence Anthony. I actually listened to the audio version. It was just fascinating. I, I've got to to listen to this one again. Uh, how he had a herd in crisis and he saved them and really worked with the herd. It's a beautiful book. And again, that story I said, when he died in 2012, the miraculously the two herds of this park in South Africa showed up to his house And stayed there for two days. I love that story. They hadn't been there for months and months and months. Yeah. They they, they somehow knew. No, yeah.
1: The listeners are, are like, what's he talking about? Go back and listen to the first pod. It was,
0: uh, it's it's an incredible story. Incredible story. story. Uh, I'll put, I'll see if I can put the link again in the show notes. So conservation tips this week. Don't buy ivory. Never buy ivory. Ban ivory. If you have ivory, turn it in. Uh, LA Zoo just had a big thing here. Give them a plug a few weeks ago, turning in ivory and they got a ton of it. You know, we need to just remove that from the marketplace. It, it, an animal died for that.
1: And I know we'll touch on this probably in another pod, but often we talk about uh, the market for mm-hmm. poaching items and animals mm-hmm. being in Asia, but there's a fair market here in the U S for it. And I know,
0: I know, I know. So it, if you buy elephant parts, you're, you're, you're part of the problem, period. Absolutely. Or Whether if it's you leather don't. Leather oh, or whatever. And for our yeah. listeners
1: in the pod, as for some of our animal zookeeping fans that are from North America who think, Oh, that's doesn't happen here in North America.
0: Oh, it happens. It does. Here, yeah. And
1: so share this information yeah. because you might have an aunt or an uncle who isn't, you know, maybe buy stuff oh, where, unknowingly, yeah. right? They, so. Spend the holiday season helping educate those around you, regardless of what country you're from. And, uh, tell a friend about this podcast. Give us some ideas for other podcasts. Keep listening. Please subscribe to Patreon so we can go to Kruger. Just kidding. So we can keep pods coming. (laughs) Although I would, I, uh, Chris wanted to do a live pod from Kruger, but unfortunately I I was actually too busy working to do
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. Walking on safari, but no, thank you. You visit our website, www.allcreaturespod.com. Find us on Instagram, allcreaturespod.com all creatures podcast and then also our facebook and facebook group so thank you thank you thank you big send off for year three here we go angie episode 122 in the books and we are coming at you strong next week with angie's favorite or one of her favorites the southern white rhinoceros
1: thanks for listening
0: listen learn share join the movement at allcreaturespod.com